Um, great, cool. Feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors, and I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three oars rip right round your jugular. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be talking about summer seasonal affective disorder, a brief history of pride, and some other things. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Rachel, I'm so glad you ask me that every single week, because my answer (laughs) is always the same. In select places. in select places is the same, but we have added to our list, so it's grown. You've had more to memorize. I also Your job like has been expanded. True, I've also like rewritten the script, so it's like fresh for our old timey listeners. You know. Anyways, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. You will receive extra FKJ points if you leave us a review on iTunes because it's a great way to spread the word, and then our podcast becomes higher up on the list, and then it's just good for feminism all around. On the social meds tip, you can follow us on the Gram, the Twitter, and the Facebook. You can like our page on Facebook. Just search for our podcast name. Or you can join our closed community group, which is Feminist Killjoys Community dash WTF Power exclamation point. And on the FI, we have the Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape curated by Rachel. I might have some things to add now that I am on the FI. Thank you very much. Anyways. Yeah. Congrats on that. We should have like... Melody's on the fly. Wait, do the, you're so good at the thing. Do it again. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited. I taught her. I gave her a tutorial on how to use Spotify. No, you will not be able to find me on Fi, but it's fine because I don't need anybody to find me on a music platform where I just play songs. I think- but then people can be like, oh, how cute. She's listening to Blink-182. Shocker. Oh, how cute. She's listened to the same Beyonce song eight times in the last hour. I think it's just like two. I draw the line pretty early on with social meds, and this is definitely one where I'm like, I'm not even going to connect the two accounts. Yeah. Thank you for trying. That's that's fair. Uh, But you can still find our list there, is the point. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) (laughs) And I subscribe to the the mixtape now, so I'm like really in. I have full, I'm like in 2015. I haven't fully gotten to 2017 yet. There's some things that I'm still needing to get, but I'm pretty much in the, you know, past the 2010 mark. So slowly but surely. Thank you everybody for your patience on that. Mm-hmm. I did. Let me just finish our little thing and then I'll say something in my check-in. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. If you have any extra dollars and want to support us feminist media makers, you can donate to our Patreon. And Patreon subscribers get access to our amazing Killjoy Review newsletter, also curated by the brilliant Rachel. Lots of awesome history in there, by the way, too, if you want to know like this day in history. Check it out. Just side note, patriarchy, that it's really hard to find a lot of information on radical women in history as if like we didn't do anything radical but yeah that's been the biggest the biggest struggle lots of like dude radical left history but 
not as much of the ladies. So I'm working. I'm trying. And then lastly, if you would like to, uh, well, on the donation tip, we have our website as always, feministkilljoyspodcast.com. And we still have our little birdie up if you want to click and leave a one-time donation. We'd appreciate it. And if you would like to email us and leave us awesome feedback, critical feedback, or just say hi and want to chat, that is fkj.phd at gmail.com. And shout out to listener Caitlin for emailing us. She, they, not sure on the pronouns, excuse me. Caitlin basically emailed us and told us to get this book called The Feminist Utopia Project, 57 Visions of a Wildly Better Future. And in fact, today it arrived on my doorstep because I saw nice. it and I said, I will purchase that. Also, it doesn't hurt that I now have an Amazon Prime account because I need to be watching Mr. Rogers episodes all summer. That was not, you don't get a prize for moving through that the fastest this nope, time. I don't. No, no prize. No prize for you. But but you got it all out and we appreciate your labor. How are you? I have a cold. Yeah. Womp womp. I haven't gotten Airplanes, sick. Airplanes, man. I have not gotten sick for, I can't even remember the last time I got sick. Definitely hasn't been for many years, so I'm fine with this little cold. It's just annoying. And your brain starts working in weird ways when you're sick. And also... I was getting really upset with myself because I thought I was out of shape yesterday when I was weed whacking and my mu- like my arm was like shaking from weed whacking. Mm. And I thought, I am not this out of shape. There's no way. I just did a level two yoga class in Boston <laughs> right. and I, I was fine. But then I yeah. realized, oh, when you're sick, your body responds and refuses to like exert the amount of energy you usually do because it's trying to recuperate. Yeah. And, you know, it's fine. I like fell asleep half on my bed petting my cat last night you know yeah. i'm just listening you to my rest. body you gotta hydrate yeah totally yeah being sick is no fun but you're lucky it's been years and you know bodies bodies are telling it's a, it's a signal that you that you got to take take it easy so totally blessed that i have a good immune system typically oh i just wanted to follow up with the thing that i wanted to say during the follow us on the blah 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 mm-hmm. is i actually saw one of my students yesterday and i said Guess what? I got Spotify and she was totally floored. So it is true that my students were like very close to taking my phone and fixing me up with the the newest music platform. So she was very proud of me for for getting that all set up. So (laughs) well, I hope you feel better soon. Thank you. I'm I'm pretty good. We talked earlier this week and I was like, uh, well, we're going to talk about as a topic of the episode, just the way that summer blues start to sink in. So I was kind of struggling with that and some anxiety this week. But today I'm great. We have we start started the next round of boot camp at the studio that I teach at and I'm leading it again and it was the first day and the first day all the days are really fun. I love I love boot camp. So we had a great a great first day. Put me in a great mood. So that is fantastic and I am really committed to just making good things happen. I did some vision boarding last night. Do you know what vision boarding is? No, but I wanted to ask you about it because I really need to vision board myself. I mean, I can get what it is where you like write down the things that you want to accomplish, but I'm sure you have like a much more integrated vision board activity. Yeah, it can it can be like a whole process. So, I mean, yeah, writing writing stuff down is a good first step, but then you actually want to do it more like crafty. And I think you'll appreciate this because it'll feel like making a zine kind of or like any other kind of collage. It involves like cutting out pictures from magazines if you want, which is like very up my alley. So, you know, you get a piece of paper or a small poster board or something. And after you've sort of figured out your goals, you then, you know, post images that evoke the feelings you want to have from those goals or perhaps more literal. So I did things related to career and sort of personal and self 
development and relationships and where I want to live. So uh, it was it was great. And I lit, you know, I lit some candles. I had my crystals, put on some good tunes. Uh, it was really lovely. So that's how I spent last night. It was nice. That sounds amazing. Also, yeah, I'm by saying what I'm going to say, I'm not trying to belittle any of that but that actually sounds like a fun activity to have with my little buddy Tate this summer like oh totally because we're gonna hang out starting on Monday and we always I always because I'm a type a person I'm like let's have a plan but it also helps with kids to have structure so we like write down things that we want to do and so last Mm -hmm. year our craft thing was that we made boxes for cats for pretend cats and then we would like cute yeah it was really cute because of Nico Atsume that remember that cat yeah so we were very inspired by that game that's great but I was thinking we could make a vision board for like what we want to do together in the summer or like how he wants his summer to go as well yeah that'd be helpful for him because I think sometimes when you're younger as I remember it's you know, it's hard to kind of figure out what kind of emotions you can share and not share and what you can talk about and not talk about. And yeah, obviously with me, you can talk about whatever you want. But, you know, kids are just kind of like not sure. Totally. I think that's a great idea. You should totally do that. We'd like to talk about who is ruining the dinner party this week. A specific, a unique, a distinct type of egregious behavior from DT. Do you want to do you want to explain what happened this week in relationship to the environment? Well, our horrible president decided to pull out of the Paris Accord agreement in which the top polluters in our world at one point came together and agreed, okay, we're going to like slow the roll on the pollutants that we put out into the world. And China and US were some of the like last hanger honors to like not wanting to join. And then China joined and then it would have looked really bad if we didn't join cuz like China is China and we joined And Barack Obama was very proud of that accomplishment. And then this guy who got elected somehow, he pulled out of this agreement. And so that is causing some people some worry. Although, of course, we can kill joy, even the kill joy moments of this. But what would you like to say about this, Rachel? What was your first reaction slash what are your remaining thoughts on this decision he made? It's obviously, you know, really bad. And uh, I just before we started recording, like finally got up this, you know, sort of stomach to listen to the actual speech he gave because mm. I've just been reading things, reading things about it. I can't and do it's that. like, f- it's just such fucking garbage. And, you know, he he his rhetoric is it's not even like clever. But I guess if you're not remotely thinking critically, the way he's trying to spin this stuff is that it's about preserving the the economy of America. But but even that's not even how he starts. He starts by saying, like, we, we're not to be made to look like idiots. Basically, he, he's so he's so obsessed with whether or not other countries think that we're weak or not so he's it's you know it's it's like fucking bully tactics he's like no you guys want us to do this but i want to show you that we we can't be persuaded in any you know we can't we can't negotiate etc cetera, etc cetera, all of this like bullshit macho garbage so it was just gross it was a gross speech so it's bad and the reasons for it are bad and when he's saying it's in the service of the economy it's misleading and mostly inaccurate because you know the jobs that are destroying the environment aren't sustainable. (laughs) So if we're thinking about job creation, it needs to be in the service of more environmentally sound careers anyway, which I know is difficult. And as somebody who grew up in a blue collar town, like I I understand the the challenges of that. But anyway, so it's it's garbage. But the, the other like big thing about this is is that, you know, I think the Paris Climate Accord agreement wasn't going to really save the environment from 
the kind of destruction that it's experiencing, even on its own. Um, I listened to a environmental reporter that talked about the things that people that the countries agreed to isn't actually enough to reduce global warming by like the two degrees that it needs to be reduced in order to have Earth survive. Even the agreement wasn't enough. It obviously makes it way the fuck worse if the U.S., which creates, I think, like one fifth of carbon emissions. I'm not I'm also just like side note environmental stuff I obviously I care a lot about it it's it's just not my like niche issue so if I say something that's like wrong or stupid feel free to correct me on social media or email or whatever basically first of all the agreement wasn't even enough second of all really nations that are committed to capitalist power systems any agreement they make is going to be in the words of one of my dear friends who great wrote this great Facebook post it's harm reduction right it's capitalism is destroying the environment capitalism will continue to destroy the environment as long as it is alive and well, regardless of however much, quote unquote, sort of better we get about environmentally friendly practices, you know, capitalism is, is sort of relies on a destruction and exploitation of the earth, as well as workers, as well as all marginalized people of all sorts. So the fact that, you know, there's a lot of people acting like this is the end of the world. Well, like it was kind of really terrible even before this too because capitalism is destroying the planet as well so sorry to ruin that part of the dinner party too and i feel like if you are having anxiety over this like those feelings are totally valid and i think so i've been really irritable this week and obviously some of it is because i was coming down with the cold but i also think manifesting some of this stuff in a different way than just getting mad because i'm just sick and tired and like of getting mad at him, you know, like I'm just tired mm -hmm. of it. And so I just don't get mad at him, but I'm still holding the same information in my brain. And then so I am just irritated and it comes out in other ways. So I just wanted to say, I'm just trying to like make sure that everybody's, <laughs> it's all, you know, just to clean up what you said, Rachel. If you're feeling horrified by this, that feeling is very valid. Totally. I think it's also important though to know maybe it'll make you feel better or worse <laughs> that this kind of a pollution has been happening since the Industrial Revolution. And in the 70s, when a bunch of scientists started freaking out and saying, like, this is really bad, we chose not to do much about that besides turn it into a lifestyle politic of reduce, reuse, recycle. So then when we started growing up in the 80s, that was like the big thing, right? So it was just like personal mm -hmm. responsibility to help the climate while a lot of horrible corporations continue to pollute the earth. And going back to our episode last week when we were talking about how capitalism, well, via immigration, how global capitalism harms not only us, but more importantly, developing nations or whatever term you want to use, we steal their resources. We also like harm their environment the most because they're right on the equator. And so things are a little bit, I'm not a scientist, but things are a little bit more chaotic down there in terms of weather patterns. We're just making it worse for people who are already worse off because of <laughs> global capitalism, as you, you know. Yeah. Uh, insert huge scream there. Also, I think another way to maybe find some like hope around this is that, and again, this is rooted in capitalism, but a lot of these companies such as, you know, automobile makers or I don't know, 
name an industry like housing or whatever, they are already on the green tip. Like it's already a good, they've realized it's a good PR move to say that we're a sustainable company. So whether our president, in quotes, president, agrees with that or not is one thing. But something to pay attention to is, are these companies actually going to then go back to the old regulations or feel like they don't need to be right, you know, because they're not going to be looked over with such a magnifying glass, go back to their polluting ways? I don't think so, because we as a country have kind of bought into this green marketing. And that's wholly problematic to begin with. But I don't think that like hybrid cars are going to be are going to not be produced anymore, because right. if those go back to like diesel engines and and all the, you know, the other previous more pollutant heavy manufacturing, that's going to look bad for them in a PR marketing way. So totally, I think we're fine. I mean, in terms of, it's not going to be like we're going to go back to how things were produced in the 1940s when we didn't have enough information. Right. I, I yeah, I agree. I agree with you, and I. To go back to your first point, yes, please know that I'm not trying to be dismissive of anybody who's like really stressed out about that news. Um, I really want to not invalidate anybody's reactions to any news because that's that would be shitty of me. So, yeah, I mean, I agree again with everything you said. And just to maybe expand on what I was trying to say more, read that quote from my friend Shepe, who's one of my mentors and amazing activist human. So he wrote, anything we win from the government is harm reduction against the ill effects of the state, of empire, of patriarchy, of white supremacy, and of capitalism. They will always be damaging faster than we can heal until they're abolished. And that's the point. So anything we win in the interim, we have to fight for. That's true for the climate as for anything else. We can't repair it in the world. We can just barely try to win concessions from them to slow down their harm, or we can stand the fuck in their Mm -hmm. way. There's no escaping this. We win when we we win when we do the work to heal. We win when we reduce the system's ability to damage us and our earth, and we damn well motherfucking win when all of the power we've built helps us smash those systems when the chance comes. Paris can't save us. Let's keep fighting like wild to save ourselves. Boom. Boom. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And yeah. I was ranting to my good friend Nick on the phone yesterday about this. If we would actually just stop producing shit right now, we would be fine for a very long mm-hmm. time because we have a lot of crap in this in this country that we can use. You know, because one way to stop pollution is to stop polluting. And and right. I know people would say like, well, what about the jobs that people have in these factories? And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is we don't actually need to be producing all this stuff right now. You know, right. we can envision yep. a different world. And then uh, shout out to Nick for this little trinket of information. He was reading s- something online. This is like horribly sourced. Sorry about that. But he was mentioning that somebody had figured out the cheapest way to dramatically reduce our pollution is to turn two lanes of freeways into mass transit lanes. And because then you increase all the mass transit that's available, people would drive less and that would like lower Mm. our pollution. Hmm. And it, it would be a very cheap way. So the ways that we're talking about it with the Paris Accord is like it's expensive because they're it's involving these global conglomerates. But adding some lanes or not adding, but taking away car lanes and turning them into mass transit lanes would be very affordable with the cost of return would be very high. Like you don't put in a lot in, but you get a lot back. But of course, you know, because we're in the system that your friend just like eloquently listed, that would be very hard to instill. I think that's why people get so frustrated and aggravated, especially, you know, ignorance is bliss. And so sometimes when you know so much about the environment and ways to help it, if we could just do this one simple thing, we could change so much. But there's so many 
things that w- that are in our way that when is going to make yeah. it impossible because we are a country that is based on automobility and that the car is the number one vehicle on the road and to change that mindset is not going to happen overnight Ugh. speaking about fighting like wild to save ourselves would you like to talk to us about pride and how the history of pride illustrates that yeah June is recognized as Pride Month across the lots of nations, certainly in the U.S. Except and the nations where you can die or go to jail for being queer. Yes, but always to remember that, of course, queer folks in the U.S. aren't necessarily getting by. Super easy, as, as easy as the U.S. likes to say when they talk about things in other countries. But that shit in other countries like uh, Chechnya, I think it is, right, where that mm-hmm. where people are being executed right now. Yeah, shit is shit is real and not and not good. But there has been all of the advances and relative progress we have in the U.S. is all because of the uh, LGBTQ social movements that have existed for a very long time. So don't be confused and think that President Obama signing the marriage amendment uh, amendment was the reason that queer folks are liberated. That is not the case. We may have talked about this last year in June, but I think we sort of talked about it around the same time that Pulse happened because a massacre happened during Pride Month. So I don't know that we really delved into the celebratory parts of this as much. So Well, we also brought it up when that horrible movie came out about Stonehenge, oh. remember? and uh, Stonewall. Stonewall. Did I just say Stonehenge? You sure did. Oh, my God. Where's my brain? (laughs) Did I ever tell you the story about how when I was in England, we drove to Stonehenge and I had to ask what it was? I didn't even know what it was. And I was in college. That's okay. I mean, I feel like that history is not... I I mean, I liked it when I started learning about it more, which is actually when I was in England. I was like, oh, this is really witchy. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm super into this. Mm -hmm. But I I don't think I knew a lot about it. Okay. You don't need to feel dumb about that. Okay. Anyways. You don't need to feel dumb about anything ever. That's true. Stonewall. Stonewall. That movie came out, which was white, totally whitewashed. And so I think we did a totally little whitewashed. blip on queer history there. But I don't think we okay. ever. I'm not sure if you've ever given your like your lecture. I'll keep it concise. So, brief history. There's this really amazing essay by a scholar named John D'Amelio called Capitalism and Gay Identity. And he argues for a theory that suggests that not homosexual act or desire, but identity, like identity categories, that those LGBT, largely LG identities that he's kind of arguing for, um, that those identities were really concretized with sort of post-industrial revolution when families went from agrarian sort of family styles to moving into urban spaces. And when people who were not just in family units were able to sort of fraternize and uh, meet each other. And so it was largely working class men and women in urban spaces that were able to meet and then act on queer queer desire sort of at their workplaces and then outside of their workplaces. And the only place they could act on those desires outside of workplaces were in bars because there were only a handful of bars in these spaces. Bars were the only places sort of period that gay and lesbian identified folks could congregate with the exception of some political and social spaces that happen sort of inside houses and and some meeting halls. Um, But mostly if there were 
you know, out queer people in a space together. It was going to be at a bar. So the history, I, I know we talked about this, this with Pulse, the fact that that assault happened at, at, a, at a bar slash club um, is really significant because it is such an important part of history for LGBT folks. In Stonewall in particular, this is now into the 60s. These bars were regularly raided by the police. It was very common, you know, to the point that it could have been nightly that cops would come in, um, harass people, beat people up. It was literally until 2011, it was technically illegal for um, men to wear more than two pieces of women's clothing and women to wear more than two pieces of men's clothing. Like this really antiquated, quote unquote, cross-dressing law Mm. that wasn't officially off of the books until 2011 in New York, but sort of, you know, stopped being implemented in practice before that. But at the time, they could literally put people in jail who were wearing clothes that didn't, quote unquote, match their perceived gender, right? So this was very common, FTP, all cats are beautiful. Then, even before Stonewall, LGBT folks were would have resisted. So in 1966, this isn't as talked about as much, but there was Susan Stryker uh, wrote about the, the Compton Cafeteria Riots, which was a group of transgender women who fought back against cops that were doing the same thing. That didn't get sort of as remembered in history for a lot of reasons. Some people would argue that it was, you know, all trans women versus sort of a mixed group at Stonewall. But also uh, 1969 was a particularly hotbed year in the U.S., in terms of Vietnam and uh, lots of just like political energy happening then. So there's some really interesting um, sort of historical theories on why Stonewall is remembered more than others. And I can link to that in our newsletter. So the cops come in June 28th. Woman named Marsha P. Johnson is celebrating her birthday there. Also, uh, Judy Garland had just died. So big, big crowd hopping at Stonewall, which is, you know, a known gay, gay bar. The cops come in, a lesbian woman gets arrested, The co- and she's crying about the fact that her handcuffs are too tight. The cops, like, start hitting her for voicing concern about the tightness of the handcuffs. And with that, like, explicit abuse, rioting begins. A lot of people credit Sylvia Rivera for throwing the first brick through the window. Sylvia Rivera is another transgender woman. Marsha P. Johnson also begins fighting back. Another transgender woman. One of co- Both of those are transgender women of color. And most of the other attendees at the bar, these bars, like I said, were largely working class because people in those spaces who, who, who were working in those particular parts of the city um, were often poor folks, people of color, etc. So, so this was really a riot of the <laughs> most marginalized of the LGBT community. And so given that history that this rioting began through trans women of color, poor poor queers, you know, poor gay and lesbian people, it it is unfortunate that a lot of pride uh, marches and activities in the US in the past couple decades have been sort of largely led and appeared to be mostly in the service of sort of white middle-class gay men, which is why we also have things like the Dyke March or the Trans and Queer March that happens in Minneapolis. There's a lot of cities that do pride alternative marches because of the way that not only it became sort of a largely white gay male space, but also because there's tons of like corporate sponsorship of these marches and, and parades. So the juxtaposition of that history that I just described coupled with what you might see in bigger cities during Pride Weekend, which might be like a Bank of America float with half-naked white gay men with chiseled gym bodies, doesn't exactly mirror the sort of radical resistance roots of 
of that first Stonewall riot, which is credited for the fact that that happened in June. That's sort of why we celebrate it in June. There was demonstration, demonstrations and then a parade a few days after, like a march, sort of a rally, a few days after the first night of that Stonewall rioting. I was just thinking about how even in the gay rights movement, white men still find a way to center themselves. Oh, 100%. And I was also thinking about this radio station I listen to called Pride Radio, and it is run by iHeartRadio, which is horrible. Just don't even get me started about that conglomerate. used to be Claire Tannell. They say it's Pride Radio for LGBTQ people, but it clearly targets white, or I should just say, like traditional gay men because it's the type of music that is stereotypically played in gay male clubs. Mm-hmm. Like if it was for actual like queer trans dyke people, like it would just sound totally different, you know? So it's like, okay, right. it's not pride radio. <laughs> well, first off, shout out to Minneapolis for the fact that we have a pride radio station where they explicitly talk about gay things on a mainstream radio station. Mm-hmm. But let's be real about who you're targeting. And it's it's white gay men. You know, for the yeah. for the large part. And so it just it's so frustrating about how capitalism finds its way into everything and that yeah. white men find themselves centered all time at all times. And don't think about like, hey, maybe we could do it differently. Like maybe we shouldn't be centered in this. Yeah. It's not like people don't have the power to change it, but that has been the dynamic. And now pride has been wholly capitalized or corporatized. It's really gross. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, my school is going to be there. And I think that's great. It's also a marketing thing for them. You know, like, look, yeah. at we're here. Look at how yep. queer friendly. We- <sighs> it's not like right. we're known. It's not like we have an award winning queer center or something. We don't even right. have a flipping LGBTQ center. Yeah. It's just marketing. It's marketing for everybody. Um, yeah. And it's just really frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly because even prior to Stonewall, which, you know, people there probably had mixed politics, I guess. Um, I don't know everybody's political identity there. But the movements that were organizing that sort of helped catapult this night of couple nights of riots into an organized political front, which is the Gay Liberation Front is sort of the thing that people think of as, as another thing that came out of that. A lot of these what were referred to as homophile organizations. So that's the earliest name that was given to LG, uh, well, gay and lesbian in particular organizations that were either social and or political um, trying to meet and, and talk about identity um, and rights and things like that. The very first ones in the U.S. were founded by communists, Harry Hay and some other commies, understanding the connection between their oppression as gay men and also the oppression of all people under capitalism. And so to know that the roots of this movement and then that the homophile movements became much more mainstream and then the gay liberation front picked up with the sort of anti-capitalist analysis again and then later act up during the AIDS crisis, continued also to find the intersection between economic oppression and uh, sexual oppression and racial oppression. So there's just such a rich history of queer folks centering intersectional struggle and resisting capitalism and racism and white supremacy and etc. And so it's like especially a bummer. That's not to say that that doesn't mean that if you're gay, you're going to necessarily like also already be an anti-capitalist. Like, I know that's not true, but it's a bummer because it's the anti-capitalists that created a foundation that enables the pride parades of today. Yeah, it just erases that history. 
by yeah. corporatizing it, which is strategic. That's how hegemony yeah. works, is that it allows something counter-hegemonic in, which is gay rights. And then, mm-hmm. but then to like make it palatable to the mainstream, it corporatizes it so it looks more familiar. And, you know, I'm sure there's an argument for the way that it went, making it more mainstream and acceptable to people who might otherwise be turned off by the concept of gay rights, which is fucked up. But kind of the same argument about why Ellen has been so important to the gay rights movement and people can roll their eyes. I'm just saying this is a similar argument in that like she you know, has a talk show and everybody loves her. And so that's really helped people become more comfortable with lesbians as if it's like Ellen's job to like make people more comfortable. But, you know, she's been awarded the National Medal of Honor for it, you know, so it's kind of the same. There's a it's a complicated argument about that. But also, I think to kind of go off your concern, though, is a lot of baby gays should go to Pride. And it's so important for them to have that space, you know, to feel comfortable in, in their skin and who they are. I just wish that the space was different for people in our community to not have to have like a float parade with, you know, Mm -hmm. all these. And then like having samples given out. Seriously, I got Scott Bright green scrubby samples at Pride Parade. And (laughs) no, thank you. Also, oh, my God, you all have to watch out. You got to be slick on these. um, Watch out for the Christians that show up. They get real sly. Did I ever tell you this, Rachel, about how... No, were they trying to convert? like Or like anti-convert, whatever? I mean... Yes, but to try to- it was so weird. It was two years ago. We were at the parade, and these people had colored spray paint. And they would spray paint your arm because like and it was all rainbow colors so you know everybody was kind of giving you things to like brighten up your look right to make it all like gay extra rainbowy mm-hmm. turns out they were marking you as a queer person to talk to when you went down to the pride festival no way i'm serious and i can produce evidence of this it was online wow i cannot like i'm so serious about this and if people are in minneapolis or st paul listening they might be familiar with this tactic because it hap- it happened and it was really fucking weird. My friend had her antennas up for that kind of stuff and she was like this does, yeah. this doesn't seem right and she looked into it and sure enough that's they were marking people. Wow. So watch out for that stuff. Don't trust don't let anybody put anything on you. I'm serious. Like I know this sucks to talk I mean it's supposed to be like our positive section of the podcast, but watch out because they're getting really slick with conversion and yeah, they do show up they do show up interesting and to clarify hashtag not all christians yes. like i'm not yes. you know i don't know whatever denomination that would have been but you know homophobic religious folk yes and yes all um, religions there's all people of all religions are homophobic as well people of all religions can be people of all re- all religions there are people who are not also right. in all religions but in this instance in this country it tends to be the christians that are doing the attempt at anti-conversion or conversion back to conversion yeah i don't know why i said anti but conversion yeah yeah wow that's fucked and some for some people they don't they don't want anything different than than floats and free samples and that's and that's fine that's i mean i think that's fine i think that it's really important if you know that you are from a group that is marginalized and oppressed I do kind of think it's important to have some kind of relationship to politics if you are a marginalized person. I just, I mean, maybe that's like a fucked up thing to say, but I'm just going to say it because there are just so many people who are part of your group who have fought to make sure that you have some kind of livable life. 
And that's important to remember. Paying our respects to our queer elders. I I feel like a, a lot of affinity and attachment to thinking about uh, like working class femmes that went to like the butch and femme bars back then. And uh, I'm just grateful for all the work that folks who were alive back then and trying to be who they were did because it is a reason that I can walk around and say I'm a queer person and not feel afraid. And that's pretty cool. So trying to be positive and on a positive note. Yes. And I will, I think this is a positive note as well to all the queer people that might may feel invisible in these spaces because I read something online and I wish I could remember like who said it, but they said something like to all the gay and lesbian people who complain about all the straight people that show up to Pride, remember, and then they listed all these ways in which seemingly straight couples are actually not straight. So one person could mm-hmm. be trans. Both of them could be queer by pansexual. Mm-hmm. You don't know. And so to not assume that they're just a bunch of straight couples. I think people who have listened a while and or know, know me in real life know that my partner's trans, but generally is read as, as male. So yeah, we're perceived as a straight couple. Yeah. So I think that's a good note. Thanks. Thanks for that reminder, Mel. You're very welcome. Happy Pride. Happy Pride Month, Happy everybody. Happy Pride. Be prideful of who you are. We are here with you. That sounded really fake, but I really meant it. And I know not everybody who listens has families or friends that are supportive of their identities. So please know that you're always welcome in our community to talk about who you are and celebrate who you are. Totally. Totally. Yay. There's that. That makes summer happy. Pride Month is usually a happy thing in summer. But what makes summer a bummer? (laughs) You sound like you're a kid's TV show. Hello, kids. What makes summer sad? The rain. No, did you hear? Did you hear my rhyme? I said, "What makes summer a bummer?" Oh, I'm sorry. That's why it's you sounded, missed that it. That is why it sounded like a kids thing to begin with, because you rhyme too. I didn't even catch. I know that. it was. It was pretty good. Hey, kids, what makes summer a bummer? The rain, <laughs> tornadoes, <laughs> depression, depression. <laughs> Tell us more. Oh, dear. Uh, um, Okay. Well, both Rachel and I have riffed off of us having summer sad, and I decided to do a little bit more research on it. I guess there's not much to say about it. I mean, in the research that I did, I found out that 5% of the population in the United States can suffer from winter sad, which is kind of the traditional, you get depressed in the winter. There is at least 1% of the population that suffers from what a lot of people refer to as reverse sad, which is summer seasonal affective disorder. I just wanted to let people know that it exists and that if you also feel depression in the summer, that you're not alone and that it's normal, like, you know, it's something that happens. But I think it's really hard to talk about because, and this is one of the reasons why the depression can also manifest pretty quickly is because it's the season in which everybody's supposed to be happy and everybody's supposed to be enjoying the outside, especially Mm -hmm. if you live in a colder climate like Rachel and I do. And so especially in the Midwest and the East Coast where there's lots of snow and very cold winters, summer and spring is supposed to be the time that we rejoice. But it's often the time that we get sad. And why this happens, people are not sure because the the reasons for winter sad is there's less sunshine. So it's very like reasons for them are a little bit more obvious. But actually, scientists and psychologists are not 100% sure on why people get summer sad. But some people think that it might be because of the longevity of the sun, that it really messes with our internal clock, 
but it is different in that people will often face insomnia, so they'll have trouble sleeping. And also it creates a loss of appetite instead of an increased appetite, which is from, which is what happens in winter. So basically, like all of the symptoms are reversed in the mm-hmm. summer. And it, when I was looking through all this stuff, it was really interesting because it's like, oh yeah, that's right, I do lose my appetite in the summer, and not it's not just because it's hot out. It's just I just don't want to eat as much. Um, there's more feelings of dread about what to do with my day, um, and I think it's because you wake up feeling kind of bleh. And then the fact that you aren't excited about the day and that you need to like come up with something fun to do when nothing sounds fun, then you like get extra blah about it. And as we've talked about, I think one thing that really triggers us is the time that we are given. So like we work 60 hours a a week and then summer hits and we have zero hours of work to do unless we produce our own work. And so that's just a really hard shift for us to, to do. I personally have a really hard time with downtime. And so it's not just this sad. It is also personal issues that I have with anxiety and working too much and not wanting to be alone with myself. So it all compounds into this disorder. But it's I think it's pretty frustrating to have, especially because there's very few people that you can relate to about it. In the winter, everybody's just down in the dumps. It's so bleary. And I love winter. Like, I love snow. I think snow's beautiful. It's really energizing. And so that was also something in my research that showed that people who do have reverse sad or summer sad, they love winter. Like, they feel really energized in the wintertime, which is totally me. So those are the basic facts. I would avoid just Googling it because there's lots of misinformation out there with medical stuff. But I did find a couple credible sources, I would say, that I will make sure are online via Twitter for sure. What do you want to say about this, Rachel? I think you covered a lot. I mean, just so this is more common I've heard with academics, with people who have the summer quote unquote off, even though we all always have work to do. The fact that we don't, like you said, have sort of a a set structure and schedule or a place to have necessarily be like mm-hmm. technically we could work from home if we wanted to i've definitely heard more academics say that they struggle with it yeah i fucking hate it <laughs> like i hate how it feels i hate that it's light out for so long i'm very much somebody who wants to like get home from my work day maybe take a yoga class take a shower put on pajamas and like call it a day but like if it's fucking still light out and i put on my pajamas i feel like a loser and like I should be outside having a picnic Mm -hmm. or like rolling in a field and I'm like uh I'm not doing those things so I suck yeah I hate it and I just hate how it feels I mean it sounds this all sounds like very shallow stuff but it's like really it really is like a depression like it's it's dread like even just Mm -hmm. like describing it I'm like oh god it's gonna be three months of that bullshit so yeah so you're not alone if you experience that too let us know Let us know on Twitter or the Facebook page if you also experience this. Yes, and uh, I would talk to your therapist about it as well. I mean, I have all sorts of tips and tricks about it. Some, some, one way that I've managed it, and it's not a foolproof way, is that before summer hits, I set up a bunch of projects so that I'm excited to go into the summer instead of just letting it happen. So I um, set up myself to go do some childcare for somebody I really adore. I set up a research project that I'm excited about that I'm not dreading that it like 
I'm excited to do. I bought some books to read. But I think this is the academic part of us, but it also could just be our like type A needing to be productive all the time. I think it's really hard for me personally to relax. So even if I'm going to like relax with a good book, it's like maybe I should be reading something a little bit more academic, you know, or is this actually a good use of my time to just relax? And so that's often a struggle for me. In the winter, I don't relax like a lot of people do. They just like veg out and eat a lot of food and then watch TV. It's like my busy time at school. So I'm like really energized and working. But I do try to set myself up with some projects that I'm excited for. I try to get into gardening a little bit more. So I try to set myself up for some stuff. One summer I like overbooked myself and then it was just like too much in that regard. But I think I've kind of figured out a happy medium of getting some projects off the ground. And you seem to have done that really well this year as well too, Rachel. I definitely did. I mean, possibly... No, I don't think I overbooked. I think I think it'll be just right. I mean, I'm leading this boot camp, which is amazing because it gets me up and out of bed and I have to be someplace um, that that isn't my home, which is really, really great. And then, yeah, I have quite a few things, both creative projects, things I'm doing for freelance work and and, and a big research project that I'm um, working on for somebody. So I do. I have a lot. And the podcast. Yeah, I have I have plenty to do. It's just a matter of for me. I've talked about this on air before. I think that I have to. I can't work at home, so I will. I have to go to coffee shops, and that helps. That helps fight my blues because then I'm around humans, uh, which is helpful. And like I'm, I'm hearing this out loud, and I've always really struggled with the feeling upset by like the luxury that is academic life. So I don't want to sound like I'm not aware of sort of like what a privileged problem it is to be like, oh, like working from home is just too much. (laughs) Having three um, months off work is just really rough. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I clearly we know that it could be way the fuck worse, but we're actually talking about like a mental illness. I mean, that that happens in the summer along along with this. And and it's not like we can't not work. I mean, we could not work, I guess, but that's not going to help us. But most academics can't not work over the summer because it's how we get work done in order to get jobs and promotions. So it's not it's not really like time off at all. And I would also say I think our lack of work, like what you just started off saying about acknowledging that it's a privileged position, I think also helps compound the depression because Mm -hmm. we're supposed to be grateful for this time. And instead, it just causes us all these problems mentally. And so that just adds to our feelings of dread. Like, why can't I guilty about it? Yeah. Yeah. Like when I was starting to work on self-care or even like in my therapist's office, like she'll be like, why don't you take care of yourself? And I like get all upset about it. And it's it's compounding itself. It's like, why can't you just fucking relax for 15 minutes? It's so hard for me to do. And then it just makes me feel bad, you know. And so it just it's a cycle. And it's very hard to get out of that cycle when we say things out loud, like what we're feeling in our head. it, It seems so ludicrous. But it feels so real when it's in your head. Yeah. And then you say it out loud and you're like, I know it doesn't <laughs> sounds like yeah. <laughs> ridiculous, but I'm serious. Like it just messes you up. Yay. Mental yeah. health. It's fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. So much Take care of process. yourselves and each other. Yes. Mm-hmm. What are you reading and watching and listening to this week? Man, that hour went fast this week. It did. It Usually did. I'm just sitting here like, you know, rolling my eyes waiting for the hour to be up. But um, <laughs> gosh, so what I'm reading is my dad actually started a research project about his grandpa, who was oh. a conductor for high school bands. And there's this like huge long story about it. But I would just like to let you know that my great grandpa 
was the first band conductor to have women wear pants in the marching band because they were so cold. He said, this is ridiculous. Why are women forced to wear skirts? Everybody's going to wear pants. And then marching bands throughout Wisconsin started to pick it up as something. Wow. I know. I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Like, this is in my jeans. (laughs) It was really fun to read his beginning of a manuscript about his grandpa. And it was fun editing it. And it was also really, you know, I was thinking about how so white problems, but you know, that that concept of how white people always go to people of color cultures to get some kind of culture because they feel like they don't have any. And I think in America, we just don't spend enough, white people in America don't spend enough time talking with their elders about their past. And Mm -hmm. it's just not something that is prioritized. But the more I learn about it, just it's really fascinating. It was really neat to like learn about my culture. It aligned with my values. It's like, oh, that makes sense. That's, you know, that's where I got that from. So anyways, that's what I'm reading. It's fascinating. I'm going to bring back my dad some edits this week. And I'm listening to my fun, dancey soundtrack on Spotify that Rachel helped me help me start. And I'm downloading it so I can listen to it on my phone without running out of data. You know what I'm watching? I, I'm watching many things. I'm really into reality TV now, you all. So there's three shows that's I would right. like to hang, I got you hooked. Hang on. I will leave the best for last. The first one (laughs) I was watching today, it's called Good Bones. It's on HGTV, and it's about how they take vacant houses and they redo them and make them into awesome houses. But the reason I love it is because it's run by two women, and I was worried that it was going to be like mocking the poverty that's involved in vacant houses and abandoned houses. But they see them as they basically don't pour shame these houses. I'm sure that there is a critique of that show if I would watch more episodes, but upon first glance to have like a full woman team directing dudes and then also using these houses as like turning these houses around instead of just letting them rot without shaming Mm -hmm. the neighborhood. Like there's no discussion about the neighborhood um, in problematic ways or the house. They're just like, all right, well, the foundation is leaky. We have to fix the foundation. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought that was cool. And then I'm also watching the show Alone, which my partner's friend is on, and they go to Patagonia and are dropped off and have to survive in the wilderness for as long as possible. Nope. I want nothing to do with that. Holy moly. Yeah. And you're, you're, so his friend, he's, are you guys seeing his friend survive right now? Yeah. He's, um, he is one of the last contestants. It already aired, wow. so I'm sure if people watch this, they know who won. We still don't know who won. And Robert is not contacting his friend until he finishes watching the show. Yeah, so we've been watching that. And Wow. Yeah. Hell no. Hell <laughs> no. no. Nope. No thank you. But very interesting show. They're all survivalists. Yeah. I mean, they're not. it's not just like random people. It's like people who are trained right. to do this kind of stuff, but seriously still right. don't. Right. And last but not least, I am now hooked on The Bachelorette, specifically, because Logan and Rachel, when I was in town, they sold me on this. They sold me on this real hard, and I watched it, and it is this this season. I think I watched probably the best episode ever of The Bachelorette. I think has been it's been determined. I think so. um, In terms of everything. Uh, you know, it's, yes. <laughs> it was a very smart episode, and I am very skeptical of things like The Bachelorette, but it, there's lots there. As Henry Jenkins would say, I'm not sure what he would actually say about that, but <laughs> I actually don't have a quote from him. He is very fascinated with shows like this because of the engagement on social media 
and it's starring an African-American woman. Oh, there's just so much to unpack. And she's righteous, dude. A strong woman. She's badass. Defense attorney. What, what? Yeah, I'm so glad that you're watching it because it's so pedagogically rich. There's so much that can be used for teaching. Seriously. Never mind. Yay. Never mind the hegemonic outline. You know somebody for a month and then you get married. Like, that's how important marriage is in our society, that we have a show right. based on that. Right. That aside. it's Well, but that's my point. Like, we can literally talk to our students about exactly that. Yeah. Here is how we know that heteronormativity is alive and well. And the construct of marriage is so valued, but also not valued because it they're like, oh, yeah, after a month, this makes perfect sense. So or, you know, to have a conversation about what valuing marriage means. Et yeah, cetera. it's the perfect um, it's the perfect example for hege- hegemony yeah. when you're teaching that concept. I was reading uh, I'm about to delve into a bunch of books about Cuba and South Africa and the black power movement and their relationship all within to each other. But I haven't delved into that yet. So today before the show, I was revisiting some of my favorite uh, LGBT history texts, and uh, I just posted this on on our Facebook group. But I was a book by Sherry Wolf called Sexuality and Socialism, and it's a really great like radical history of the LGBT liberation movement. So I highly recommend that. Watching started season two of Master of None, which we're only like three episodes in, but uh, it's so good and like so many fucking feelings and uh, too many emotions for me sometimes, but it's really good. Um, Aziz is a fine television maker, a fine storyteller. Brilliant, brilliant Um, guy. Yes. Yeah, totally. And listening to, I was back on a No Name kick. So No Name is probably popularly known as uh, one of the singers on the Chance the Rapper song. I think it's Finish Line that she sings on. But her, her standalone, her own, her solo album is fucking amazing. And I listened to it on repeat a ton in the fall. And then I didn't for a while and I just started it back in my rotation so shout out to no name what's so what is how does the song go that she's on with chance uh she's I'm not gonna forget like all the lyrics she sings um because she's like a suit like raps and it's very good oh. and I don't know how to do that she's like I love you I love you do 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 like holy like water like da 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 you know what I'm talking about Lord rain down on me so I can move on water like children at the altar like God inside my house I love you I love you you looking holy like mama you made a church out of feathers so when she flies to the father she know the choir gonna follow and all the offering paid she gave my name do you know what I'm talking about I do I do I know the song it's finish line you wanted to hear me sound like a fool nope okay great you were like, how about you rap for us, Rachel? No, Do a I little just, rap. I, it was just more for, like, the <laughs> listeners so they would know what song in case they don't know the Oh, my days, I pray and pray and I see the finish line. Nice. I that part. Yeah, that was good. Just not, that's not her the part, trill. though. The trill. What was that? That was, was, that that was me making, like, uh, doing my impression of trills. You know, when you just did a really nice one, it's like, like... Your vocal, your vo- I can't do it right now because I'm sick. But <laughs> okay, do you know what I'm talking about? When you go down, I don't know if I do a set of notes really fast. It's like what oh. Mariah Carey does and Beyonce does. It's a like a vocal yeah. trick. Oh yeah, yeah. Instead yeah. of just going yeah, ba ba ba, you go But I can't do it right now because I'm yeah yeah yeah. You know, you to... just set me up to look like a fool. No, no. Yeah, I used to do that a lot when I was like in my theater, my like show choir theater days. Uh-huh. I would like pretend that my voice did that naturally like <laughs> i'm trying to think of a song i used to sing for i used to sing um 
someone to watch over me for auditions. Mm-hmm. So someone to watch over me and like would like make my voice shake like very affected. Oh, nice. Yeah. A little emotion. That's an MJ <laughs> trick. He does that a lot, too. Yeah, but it's also like a silly, I don't know, very glee, very over the top show choiry. I don't know. I can't hate it. I can't hate it cuz Yeah. Like I said, MJ, he did it. He did it so well. Oh my god, he gets so upset about the earth. Oh. I know. He's uh his his anniversary of passing is coming oh, up it's in the as summer. well. Oh, MJ. Yeah. Ugh. All right. Okay, enough about that. Well, we gotta go. Thank you, as always, to Hard Copy Cartel for their support of our podcast and our amazing logo. And with that, WTF Power. Goodbye. Bye. Man on top, I control the message. I got that summertime. I got that summertime.